0: You will fail your way to greatness. Most people allow their fear of failure to outweigh their desire to succeed. When you're willing to fail again and again and again, when you make up your mind to become unstoppable, when you make up your mind to become a no matter what person, then that will then give birth to a part of yourself that you don't know right now. How to fire your boss build a full-time career, and live life on your own terms with investing in real estate. You are listening to the Amputee Investor Podcast. Husband, father, and dangerously handsome. Here's your host, Miles Berrio. Hey, what's going on, guys? So super stoked to get into this episode, and we're going to get right into it. I love podcasts that just get straight to the episode and not waste a lot of your time talking about random things. So Um, If you haven't listened to the episode prior to this, it would be really advantageous for you to do that um, because it's actually the strategy that allowed me to buy the property that I'm about to talk about right now. So I thought that this was fitting because I just obviously posted that episode for you guys to listen to. That was me talking to a seller live, uh, really offering this strategy. And now I'm going to talk about how this strategy actually helped me buy my first rental property. So uh, my first rental property was bought creatively um, called Owner Finance the owner financed the property to me. Now, a lot of times people think you have to save up a ton of money or you have to go to a bank to get traditional financing, you know, to buy your first rental property. And I thought that too, but that's not true. Creative financing will absolutely change the game for you. So let's kind of jump into this. The owner of the property, his name was Thomas. This is a little bit of the backstory. So you guys kind of know kind of how this all happened. Um, he lived out of state. He actually lived in Oregon and he owned this property because he inherited it from family. And, he, and one of the things that you can do, and I'm actually going to talk about how I got in front of this seller. Um, but on PropStream, one of the things that I love to do is I love to go to linked properties. There's a tab that says linked properties. And what that does is it allows me to see kind of who I'm talking to, right? It kind of creates the avatar of like, okay, is this person a really experienced investor or do they have just like one other property and they try to get into, you know, buying rentals, you know, but maybe they just haven't really figured out how to scale or they just, you know, might realize, man, this is so much harder than I thought. So I clicked on linked properties and lo and behold, it's the only other property that this guy owns. So he lives out in Oregon. So he has his primary house in Oregon, but he has this like other property in Easley. So what that generally tells me is, okay, this person, and either it's like they just got started and I just happened to find them when they bought their first rental property. But more than likely what it's saying is that they probably realized it was much harder to scale or build a rental portfolio, especially if you live out of state. So they just kind of are sitting on this one property and they might even just be struggling with it. And that's actually what was going on. So this guy owned this property out in Oregon well, he lived out in Oregon, but he owned this property in Easley, and he had a tenant that was not paying rent. So he was definitely, definitely struggling with this because I mean, guys, when you own a rental property, there are expenses, right? You have taxes, property taxes. You have, you know, insurance. You have, you know, maintenance. You have all these different things, vacancies, things that you have to take in account for. And if you are not collecting rent check every month, um, I mean, it is it's horrible. I mean, just, it's it's not an asset anymore, right? It's just a liability, right? Robert Kiyosaki, so. Um, what ended up happening is how I got in front of this individual is, and I'll kind of go right into the details because I know you guys really want to know details of how this works, right? Because a lot of times you'll hear, you know, a real estate investing podcast and they just kind of share their journey. I, I own this amount of rentals or I bought this property, but you don't really know exactly how it happened. So this is literally how this happened. So I use this system called PropStream, P-R-O-P, prop, and then stream, one word. um, And it's essentially like the MLS for investors. But what it allowed me to do was filter out exactly what kind of property I wanted to uh, basically market to. And the list that I comprised for this deal was called tired landlord, right? So we call tired landlords in this industry, someone who you know owns rental properties, but maybe, I don't know, they're ready to get into a bigger asset class or a higher asset class, or maybe they just dude, they're tired. They've owned rental properties for like, I don't know, 15, 20 years, and they're just ready to get out of being a landlord. So those properties are awesome because two things. Number one, especially if you're going to be wholesaling a property, um, what's really great about these properties is generally to wholesale, you have to have a seller who has motivation most of the time, right? They need to really have motivation. So it's good because again, it's higher I mean again you hear the word landlord so you're you're thinking well why would they want to sell their property they're a landlord they have a, a rental property they're getting you know uh, you know monthly rent they're cash flowing but that's not necessarily true there are some landlords that are tired right so they actually have a motivation to where they're like I'm ready to get out of this so that's a great thing about tired landlords is that these properties are like tenant owned or these properties have tenants in them so they're generally in in livable condition obviously and 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 but there's still motivation so you have really the best of both worlds you have a seller or owner of a property that has motivation to sell their property, so you can you can kind of negotiate at a discount. But then also the actual condition of the property is really not like that bad. It's not horrible because again it's a it's a rental property. There's generally either tenants in there or they're trying to get tenants in there. So it's it's a great list to go after for wholesaling for fix and flipping. Um, because it's usually not like a gut rehab um, or even just to buy as your own rental property, which is essentially what this was. It was a great way for me to buy this as my first rental um, because the tenant in the property was not paying rent. So I'm going to really kind of go into, again, the title of this is how I bought my first rental property. When I spoke to the seller, first of all, when I was on PropStream and I looked at the address, what I did is I comped the property. So we're not gonna dive into so many terms,, uh, you know, when it comes to like underwriting deals on this episode cause it's more so about how I bought my first rental. but I'm gonna touch on a little thing. So when I mean like comping the property, what I did essentially is I looked at other properties in the area that sold. You know, that were completely renovated that gave me what that overall value would be, that market value if I had rented renovated this property fully as well. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I, so I think the ARV, which means after repair value. So the value after you renovate or repair the property, the ARV was like, I believe it was like 165 or 155, somewhere around there, 155 to 165. Um, so I knew. For a cash deal, that would just be absolutely, it would just be an absolute confident, amazing cash deal to either wholesale or just, you know, get private money to buy it yourself to put some work into it and and flip it. Um, I needed to be somewhere around like $60,000, 60 or 65, but the seller did not want to sell for 60 or $65,000. He was very, very stuck on $85,000 cash. So this is a great strategy when a seller is really stuck on a certain price that might be just a little too high for you to go at it as a cash deal. So long story short, we kind of go back and forth. He's just not really willing to budge on the 85000 So I said, okay, look, Mr. Seller, I am willing to do your price $85,000 cash. Or sorry, let me repeat. <laughs> I am willing to do your price $85,000 if you're willing to work with me on terms. And he said, well, what are your terms? So let's just kind of stop there, right? So when you approach a seller, the first thing that, you know, I always teach my acquisitions team or teach, you know, my students is you always want to, you know, you always want to approach with a cash deal first because cash is, you know, very um, incentivizing. It's very appealing because it's cash. They just get the deal done and it's cash, right? But the challenge is, is if you can't really get the right cash price. Right. Then the next step is being able to buy it at the price that they really want it at, but offer them creative terms to be able to get the deal done and it still be a win win. Right. So, what I like to say is if I can't do my price cash, Mr. Seller, I will do your price, but you have to work with me on terms. So, the individual, the guy said, What are your terms? So, I said, Well, let's actually talk about this. Right. How much has your tenant or how long has your tenant not been paying you rent? So he explains to me, it's like been a couple months, like four to five months, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, man, that's crazy. So, you know, I'm kind of building rapport. I'm just asking questions like, man, that's wild. Like, dude, I mean, I mean, that's horrible. I, I you know, I'm so sorry to hear that, et cetera, et cetera. You know, well, if you don't mind me asking like, what, I mean, what are they supposed to be paying you for rent? And I, I think it was like 700 or 750, dollars a month or something, something like that. And the reason I'm bringing this up guys is because again, if you listen to my episode prior to this about how I live on the co- on the phone you heard me talking to the seller live I wasn't really negotiating with that seller based on just like price like just trying to go back and forth a lot of times people think I need to be a, like a salesperson and negotiate negotiate not necessarily what I did is I figured out what that seller wanted and then I created the offer based off of what they were wanting so that's kind of why I'm going into what I'm talking about right now is with this seller on well, my first rental here in Easley, what I did is I started talking about the problem that he had. Right, you want to be a, a a person who's looking for the problem and solving that for the seller, not necessarily looking to negotiate to get the lowest price. Because if you come in on the offense, of course they're going to come in come in on the defense. But if you can kind of like position yourself to be on their side and be like partners. And it's like, Hey, I'm on your side, dude. I want to help you. I want to solve your problem, but this still be a win-win for everyone. So I started asking, okay, you know, how long has the seller not been paying you rent and when, what are they supposed to be paying you? And again, like I said, it was like 700 or 750, something like that. Essentially it was around like 36 or $3,500 or something like that for like five months, four or five months that the tenant has not been paying just month after month. So what I said is I said, Thomas, what if I just came to the closing table? If I'm going to do your price at $85,000, what if I just came to the closing table and paid all the months your tenant hasn't been paying you cash up front at closing? So now you don't even have to think about the situation you had with the tenant not paying rent. And I'm absolutely going to wipe that from your memory. I'll just come to the closing table and pay that all up, upfront cash. So essentially it was like $4,000 that I offered to bring to the closing table to pay all the months his tenant had been paying rent. Guys, this is amazing because is it true that he could have negotiated some kind of down payment? I want like 10% or 20%, et cetera. And maybe I'm like, oh, we only do 5%, whatever it is. Again, whatever you focus on becomes the thing, right? It's like, that's what you're focusing on. But instead of focusing on negotiation on the down payment, what I what I focused on is solving the problem. So because he's thinking, oh my gosh, this guy's about to just give me all the money that this tenant has not been paying me and all this frustration I've been dealing with, I'm just going to be able to just wipe that from my mind because I'm just going to get all that cash up front at the close you know, I'm kind of liking this, and that's essentially what happened. He liked that idea that I was just gonna to come to the closing table, but guys, that's only four thousand dollars. But again, he's not really necessarily focused on the fact that it's only four thousand dollars and he should be getting higher-down payment. He's excited about the fact that Miles, I am coming to the closing table solving his problem, which is the fact that there's this tenant who hasn't been paying him for a certain amount of months, and I'm just gonna pay that all up front. So he's gonna get all of that money, all that money. So Essentially what happened is is because I'm doing his purchase price, 85,000, and then I was doing $4,000 down. I said, yeah, this would be great. I'd love to do this for a 30 year term. At I think it was like three and a half percent, but he's like actually in his like seventies. And he said, no, I don't want to wait 30 years for this. I'm only, I would only do 15 years. And I go, okay, all right, I'm willing to work with you, but you got to understand, I'm paying your purchase price that you want, $85,000. I'm paying the down payment of $4,000 that's going to cover all the months your tenant has not been paying you. I'm also willing to do your uh, 15 years, the length of this note. You got to work with me at least on the interest rate. I mean, I need some kind of room here to operate this property so that I can make sure I'm paying you every month. Notice how I threw that in there because I did. I said, I want to make sure I can operate this property so that I can pay you every month you got to work with me on the interest rate. So I essentially was able to get the lowest interest rate possible, which was one and a half percent. Guys, I still own this rental property today. I bought it with only $4,000 down at one and a half percent, no balloon for 15 years. Guys, this is absolutely amazing. Now notice I said no balloon. Again, we're not going to dive into so many terminologies. There's actually going to be episodes where I throw in just like, you know, four or five terminologies that you'll hear in real estate, just go through terms. But, um, Essentially what a balloon payment is, is essentially imagine like, okay, you have a 30 year note with like a a lender or a bank or it doesn't matter, any kind of lender. You have 30 years to pay, or 30 year amortization schedule, meaning like the monthly payments are going to be designed based off of like a 30 year sort of term, but you don't get 30 years to pay it off. You have to pay it off completely in 10 years right? So that 10 year mark is called a balloon payment. So that means you have a 30 year note, like a schedule, and that's what helps the payments be a certain amount, but then you got to pay that thing off. Whatever the balance is in 10 years, you got to come to the closing table with the rest of that balance. That's called a balloon payment. So a lot of times if you're doing creative deals, um, you know, sellers may not want to wait 20, 30, 40 years or something like, you know, crazy for, for, for their, you know, total amount that they're owed. So you can throw in a balloon payment and say, okay, cool, well, let's do a balloon in five years. We'll just get that fully paid off. Right. But the cool thing about this is it was no balloon, fifteen years, one and a half percent, and only four thousand dollars down. Guys, I did an awesome post that went like viral in the bigger pockets like Facebook group. Um, it was like over a thousand likes and tons of shares because I posted this picture of me standing um, at a dealership in front of all these you know nice cars, talking about how people will spend four thousand dollars on a down payment on a car, and it's not even an asset. By any means. I mean, you got like, you know, gas prices. You know, you got gas, you got insurance, you got, you know, maintenance, you got, I mean, just all types of things for the car. But people don't realize, dude, you could if you just take the time to learn these strategies, go out there, stay committed, and just work at this. Dude, you could buy a freaking rental property that's an asset. You guys know how valuable this is. So I actually raise and I'm not gonna go too in depth in terms of like me, like closing on the property and then having a tenant in it. But essentially I try to actually help the person that was not paying rent originally. And there were some things that she needed to meet in order for me to actually keep her because she obviously was going through an eviction and anybody buying a property is probably not going to let the person going through an eviction to stay there. But because of my heart and I'm trying to help this individual out, I try to give her some things that, Hey, I just at least need you to meet this long story short, she didn't meet it. So she just had to go. Anyway, I put someone else in the property. She's like a single mom, great tenant. She's paying every month. And guys, it, I mean, essentially that tenant that was going through the eviction with the original owner was supposed to pay like, again, like 700 or $750 a month. I just, I literally probably put about 25, $3,000 into this property. Like basically just some touch up paint, some cleaning it out, et cetera. Again, with a tired landlord property, they're generally already rent ready because there's a tenant in there, unless there's like, again, a problem like this where the tenant's not paying, but it's generally livable. So it's very minimal, the work you have to do. So I think I put like $2,500 or $3,000 into it, but essentially I was able to get $950 a month from a new tenant, which is great. $950 a month. I only owe the seller like 502. And guys, the beauty is now me owning this property, I get depreciation, which is a tax write-off. We're not going to go in depth with that too much on this podcast but it basically allows you to offset active income that you're making when you own rental properties or when you own just real estate in general you can write off called depreciation the, the the taxes that you have but anyway so you get depreciation but i also get appreciation guys that property is minutes from downtown and even if it was in the ghetto if you got if you buy a property in the ghetto let's just say like the ghetto ghetto of atlanta 20 years ago even if it's still in the ghetto today it's still going to be worth more than it did 20 years ago right so appreciation is generally always going to be on your in your favor which is great so i get depreciation i get appreciation and guys i get loan pay down What that means is this note that I have with the seller, I'm not paying this guy a dime. The tenant that I have in the property is paying this mortgage down. So it's just increasing my equity on top of the property appreciating. So it's literally just like free money, guys. And you know what's even crazy? We're not going to talk about it on this topic or in this episode. Guys, I know there's so many episodes I'm bringing you guys. So Please, again, I'll just take a moment to say, subscribe, like, I'm telling you, I'm trying to give you guys as much fire as possible, but I didn't even pay the $4,000 out of my pocket. I actually helped another individual. So this is like a win-win for everyone, right? So for the seller, he actually gets to have basically payments sent to him every single month, not even have to think about this property, right? Because now he financed the property to me. He doesn't own it, so he doesn't have to pay property taxes, insurance, manage tenants. He just gets a check every month for me, Right. I'm able to buy this property creatively. I don't have to go to a bank. I don't have to go get a mortgage and go through all these different stuff. I literally just worked it directly with the seller. Now the next individual, and then obviously the tenant. There's a tenant in the property now. She gets a nice little place to stay and you know raise her kid and everything like that. So it's great and it's affordable. It's awesome, right? Now my private money lender... That's who I use to actually buy the property. Now you guys might be thinking, "Wow, but you only needed four thousand dollars." Yeah, of course. But anytime I can leverage someone else who just has money sitting in the bank and they're not actively, you know, working or building a real estate, you know, empire business, I'm gonna do that. I'd rather do that because first of all, it's a win-win. It's a mutual relationship. So I had a friend of mine, and um, she's new to private money lending, and it, this was great because. I basically offered her the ability to give me $5,000 to buy this property and every single month she gets a little bit out of that rent. So guys, if you can just kind of imagine this in your head, $900, $950 of rent comes in right? But out of that $950 of rent that comes in, $502 goes to the seller, right? And then there's some money that goes to taxes. There's some money that goes to insurance, right? But what's also great is there's some money that goes to that private money lender every month. So she just gets to make, now it's not substantial, but the great thing is that she was able to go from A to Z what it's like to be a private money lender at only like $5,000. Guys, I have private money lenders that have done deals with me that are in the 50s to 100 plus thousand of dollars. So for her, for her to only have to just use 5000 of her dollars, she's able to now get Basically, a return every single month. It's really cool for her. She's like, oh my gosh, this is so cool, right? So she's imagining if she invested more, she invested more, right? Like she's getting this, you know, little uh, private money return every single month that's just going to her account. Um, but she was able to do that process, you know, much lower risk at like $5,000. But then it allowed me to be zero into the deal, zero, zero, zero dollars in the deal with all of those benefits and helping all these people. So anyway, guys, I get fired up about this because first of all, real estate investing is just absolutely life-changing. You guys know that, that's why I do this full-time and that's why I'm obviously sharing this content with you guys, so you guys can really get excited, inspired, and encouraged to go out and do this yourself. So again, this was essentially called owner finance or seller finance, and because the property was owned free and clear, now again, we're not gonna dive in and spend another maybe 30, 40 minutes diving into all the aspects of this, but essentially a property either has debt on it Right, and you can buy it by taking over the mortgage payments because there's a mortgage on the property, right? And that's called subject to. You can buy the property subject to the existing mortgage, meaning taking over these mortgage payments. Again, this isn't about subject to, so we're not gonna, there's a lot that can go into that. We can spend a whole hour diving into subject to, but this property didn't have a mortgage on it, it was owned free and clear. So, because the property's owned free and clear. The seller is able to actually finance the, the full amount of equity. They can they can become the lender, the bank essentially. They can finance the property to you and you can work directly with the seller to really negotiate terms between each other. Again, you want to do it though, based off of what their needs are. So don't go in there and going, hey, you know, are you open to create are you open to selling your property to seller finance and then start trying to negotiate? No, no, no. You want to focus on what the problem is. Maybe they want to sell the property at a higher amount, but you ask them okay well are you aware that you're going to have this you know huge tax burden and i'd love to be able to pay the price that you want and help you with not having to pay this huge tax bill you know if you're open to terms like right? so i'm focusing on helping them not have to pay this huge tax again we're not going to dive too much into that but basically when someone sells on, you know creatively like owner finance or seller finance you know if they sell for cash like let's say i gave that guy $85,000 cash he's going to pay a pretty nice tax bill on that that 85,000 but if he actually sells creatively he actually only pays taxes on the down payment that he received right so he actually gets to defer and spread that out instead of having this huge tax bill cut into that and it just helps with taxes it's a great way to help you know uh the seller out now again maybe they're in the situation of this seller where they have a, a, rent, a rental property where the tenant's not paying rent whatever the situation is what i'm saying is you want to focus on their problem you want to focus on finding a solution and really diving into that and then structure your offer based off of that. So again, guys, just to run through one more time, this uh, property was owned by an owner who lived out of state. So it was a property that was a little bit struggling for him. I used a system called PropStream and I basically filtered out and pulled a list, which basically means I just downloaded an XLSS file or an Excel file. And then I put it into another system called Batch Leads that skip traced and batch leads is a system that basically finds all the phone numbers to the addresses. And then I took that and I put it into a system called Batch Dialer, which is a power dialer. It's basically a, a software that allows for someone to call multiple numbers at once um, so that you can go through numbers, a number of numbers, a number of numbers, a number of numbers faster. And then when anyone, when someone like actually answers the phone, it just connects you through. So, you know, because you can pick up the phone one by one and call like your know, first number, call the second number, call the third, and you know, you're going to probably get the all these different things, right? But a power dialer will just go through a like Sets of numbers, four numbers, five numbers, you know, at one time. And then if someone actually pushes through, you say, Hey, hello, then it pushes you through. So you can just get through numbers much faster. So it's really, really great. But I have my cold caller. I use a company called phone beast. I'm giving you guys all the stuff, man. I'm telling you, I'm giving you the whole nine yards, right? So I use that. I use that company and I'm not even, dude, you can go, I mean, you can go use them. I'm not even getting paid for that. I'm just giving this to you guys. because I really want to help you guys out. But I use that company, and I've hired my VA from them, and I love them for a number of reasons. I'll actually probably bring one of the company owners or a partner there on uh, to the podcast, so you guys can kind of hear their service and why I think that they're awesome, and I use them. But essentially, my col- my uh, sorry, my lead qualifier v- uh, VA, Emmeline, she calls on that list. And then that's when that lead came in through my CRM, which if you're new completely to all of this, the CRM is basically just a software that allows you to organize everything, to keep track of everything. Let's just leave it at that. So anyway, it comes in through the CRM and then that's when my acquisitions, or at that point myself, I actually ended up um, calling on that lead to say, Hey, you know, this lead came in, you spoke with one of my, um, one of my colleagues, Emelyn, your property for sale, et cetera, et cetera. You know, how can I help you? Like, what's going on? Are you trying to keep this as a rental or like, you know, know, whatever. We kind of went through whole conversation. And then that's how I found out there was a tenant in the property, but they weren't paying rent. And I go, oh my gosh, that's crazy, dude. Wow. You know, whatever. And then we go through the whole conversation of me creating this offer that's tailored towards him having a tenant, not paying rent. And I'm going to literally cover all of that at closing cash. And we're going to do creative because I'm going to give you your price. Boom, baby. So anyway, guys, I just wanted to share this episode. That's how I bought my first rental property. And that's how you could buy your first rental property, right? And I'm giving you the tools and the concepts of how to really go about that. Um, But it really, really does work. And I still own it today. And I'm going to never sell this thing for a long time. And it's just going to keep appreciating, appreciating the rents will go up. And it's just going to be a great property to use even for other things you can pull out equity called a HELOC. Oh my gosh, I'm probably diving into way much, way too much here. But anyway, um, essentially, that's what I wanted to share with you guys today. So I'll keep it short. Um, if you have any questions about this, guys, do not hesitate to reach out to me. You can find me on all types of social. My name is Miles Barrio. You guys can see that on the show. M-Y-L-E S. So Miles with a Y. It's Miles Barrio pretty much everywhere. Facebook, Miles Barrio, Instagram, Miles.barrio. So just reach out to me if you have any questions. I'd love to help you out. And uh, other than that, I'll see you guys in the end of the next episode. This has been another episode of the Amputee Investor Podcast with your host, Miles Berrio.